Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. In this episode, we're answering a pretty specific question about a piece of public art in Phoenix that drew a surprising level of attention in the 90s. It's called Wall Cycle to Ocotillo, and yes, it's kind of a strange name. It appeared along Arizona State Route 51 in the 90s, and it was controversial, mainly for the giant pots that sat on top of the walls on the side of the freeway. But if you've never seen or even heard of this, don't worry. Producer Maritza Dominguez spins an entertaining tale of Phoenix history and the role of public art in our city that I think you'll like no matter what. On a small stretch of road running through town, strange things began to take place. Pots began mysteriously appearing along this once peaceful thoroughfare, too large to be of any practical use. This student mockumentary pokes fun at the art project known as Wall Cycle to Ocotillo. Let's go back a bit, because this really starts with the development of Arizona State Route 51. It's the highway that connects Interstate 10 just outside of downtown Phoenix with Loop 101 on the north side of Phoenix. It started being built in 1986. At the same time, the Phoenix City Council adopted the Percent for Art Ordinance. And what that means is that for the last 33 years now, um, a penny out of every buck that the city spends on designing and building its infrastructure uh, can be used to involve artists and other designers and thinkers in coming up with new ways to imagine public spaces. This is Edward Lebo, the current director of Phoenix's public art program. While he wasn't part of the program at its inception, he knows its history. By adopting this ordinance, it created the need for the public arts program. People began thinking about using this new public art fund to beautify this big new freeway dividing the city. The freeway split the neighborhood in half. Large concrete sound walls that were meant to reduce the sound of traffic went up at the edge of the neighborhood. The construction of the freeway was met with mixed reviews from Phoenix citizens. By 1988, the first part of the freeway was opened. Uh, Phoenix voters through the bond election of 1988 uh, approved $18 million. Part of the $18 million was to mitigate the impact the freeway had on the neighborhoods it cut through. The city began to search for a way to do that. And the planning department came to the then Young Public Art Program and said, look, we, we have this opportunity. Do you think artists could be involved in this kind of work? Okay, so that's all the wonky policy stuff you need to know. Now, here's the story of how the public art project Wall Cycle to Ocotillo was born. The city put out a national call for artists with experience making public art. After a lengthy application process, the city picked Lawyer Schader and Max Harris. I'm uh, Max Harris, and uh, I'm a sculptor, and I teach at the School of the Museum of Fine Arts at Tufts, um, and uh, we've been working together for, um, this was actually our first project of working together, um, but been involved in public art for many, many years. We've been working together for pretty much 30 years. You might be able to tell from their accents they are American. Mags is from Wales, a country part of Great Britain. Loyosh was born in Hungary. The married couple live in Cambridge, Massachusetts, 
so I spoke to them over Skype. I asked the couple what about the project drew them to Phoenix. I was also fascinated by the fact that Phoenix was a very new city. It was kind of like uh, like a teenager. It hadn't quite gotten used to being a city yet. It was sort of trying to figure out what that means. This is Loyosh, one half of the Harris Hater team. They were in their 40s at the time and were excited to start designing their project. To them, public art should reflect the community. Since they aren't Arizona natives, they hope to get local residents' input. They held a public forum with the public arts program to receive feedback from the public. There were 6,000 invitations sent out to meet us and to really engage with us. Um, and we sat in this room for two days. 15 people came in all. Max told me that some of the people that came weren't really interested in their project. They had other concerns they wanted to address. So they knew sitting in a room waiting for people wasn't working. They needed to find another way to hear the community's opinions. So we had to go and engage with people in the community. And you know, that was a, a nicer way anyway, because we were invited into people's houses. And the reason we had bikes is because we were invited into a wonderful adobe house that um, that they offered us their bikes. So we had uh, loans of bikes to really understand the whole thing. Max and Loyosh needed to find an idea for their artwork. So they went out on their barred bikes to canvas the five-mile stretch on both the west and east neighborhoods, split by the 51. Traveling from Ocotillo Road down to McDowell Road, they used this time to learn more about the area. They stopped to talk to local residents. After their observations in the area, inspiration finally found its way to Max. And then one morning, uh, Max wakes up, I wake up, and Max says, vessels. Vessels, like containers. Initially, Loyosh was confused by his wife's idea. Mags wanted to use the pot slash vessels as a way to bridge the different cultures and experiences of the people in the neighborhood and in Phoenix. You know, Phoenix is a melting pot, pun intended. So um, it was an opportunity to really um, look at vessels and to look, to then play off those different cultures. By using vessels, they could use multiple pieces to tell people's stories and represent the area. I asked the duo to tell me their favorite moment while working on this project. They pointed to a moment when they came across a home with a unique characteristic. We just heard all these birds twittering somewhere and we sort of looked for it and found it. And in fact, in the yard of this regular house, there was a wall of birdcage, probably 40 feet long. And as they approached the house, they met a woman who, after more than 20 years, Loyosh still remembers her name, Mona Gilbert. She told them why she had multiple makeshift bird cages in front of her house. We found out that she had a daughter who, I guess, was in her 20s or whatever age she was, she died. I didn't get the details, but and she was obviously grieving very seriously. And this was all kind of a shrine to her daughter. The woman's story and tribute to her daughter inspired Loyosh and Mags to include a gazebo in their design to attract hummingbirds. They designed a red gazebo with intricate steelwork of hummingbirds and added bird feeders. 
They located it near her house on Fairmount Avenue, east of the 51. If you could get someone in, involved in actually participating by keeping the birds alive, that becomes important. She probably went out there every day and uh, looked after the birds. So we yeah. didn't find too many connections like that. You know, that was unusual. That was very, very remarkable. In all, the project was in 20 different places and had 35 different pieces. The pieces were installed on both the west and east sides of the SR-51. One of the more popular ones is a 15-foot-high baby blue gazebo in the shape of a teapot. Inside, there's a bench where you can sit. Here, Mags describes to me a few more of the vessels they designed. Uh, other ones are, you know, probably only two foot high and they become um, nesting areas for birds. And uh, some of them had um, a water with them too, and they were all solar powered. Six of them were mounted on the sound wall and could be seen to the drivers on the highway. They installed one pot that was mirrored. It would catch the light of the car's headlights, making it glitter. Another was split in half. That was supposed to be a whimsical, wonderful kind of thing along a kind of a road that needed, needed some whimsy in it. Whimsy, they wanted their art to be fun for the public. Once the project was all done, they named it Wall Cycle to Ocotillo. You might be thinking, what an odd name. So remember, they borrowed bicycles from a neighbor who came to the public meeting. And so, and they lived in Ocotillo, so it was kind of a, a, you know, a word play over Ocotillo and the, and the bicycling and the walls. So put all that together and you get Wall Cycle to Ocotillo. The installation of the pots took three months and finished in February of 1992. Max and Loyosh were proud of their work. The couple thought this public art enriched the neighborhood it was in, and the public hated it. People started making fun of it, just like that mockumentary. To be honest, they frightened me. I rounded this corner. Right in front of me, there's this large, towering, some people thought the pots and the gazebos were straight up ugly. One prankster even put a gold painted toilet and a trash can on top of the SR-51's sound walls to parody the project. The Arizona Republic's editorial board wrote opinion pieces ripping it. People also criticized it for being expensive. You have to understand, in the early 1990s, the country was going through a recession. By 1992, the city of Phoenix was making budget cuts. For example, while the city of Phoenix was paying for wall cycle to Ocotillo, they were also furloughing library employees and cutting hours. But Edward, the current public arts program director, talked to me about how the money actually went back into the state. The reality about that project and the reality about a lot of the public art that gets built in this city, and it's an untold story, is that yes, artists are hired to design and think up new ideas. But most of the people who build the public art in Phoenix and throughout the nation are small shop fabricators, construction trades. Uh, and so when public art happens, that money often flows into the economy in fairly interesting ways. When I asked the couple how they felt getting such harsh backlash, they expressed frustration. 
but at the same time, they appreciated that people engaged with their art. If, if you do a public piece and there is no reaction, then it's probably not a good piece. I think a piece is successful when it engages and, you know, that's the most we can help, hope for. And maybe, um, you know, some of the satisfying moments in terms of our careers when someone was against a piece and gets to love a piece after a while, I think that that is huge. Who knows if those pranksters ever changed their minds over the years, but the project did go on to win local awards. According to the Smithsonian's Institution Museum of American Art, they described it like this, quote, Vessels have special significance in the Southwest as containers of water and special planting environments in the arid climate. The form is also universal, with a history of simple function and high art, end quote. Eventually, the sound walls of the SR-51 were raised, so the six pots on top of the walls were moved to storage. They're currently on display at the Deer Valley Water Treatment Plant. This story isn't only about the artist's process or about the public controversy. It's also about public art. Why does it matter? And what is its function in society? Here's what Edward had to say. When you ask what is public art, um, public art if you're designing a city is every aspect of the city. There are many different definitions of what public art can be. Think about the statues in New England of our founding fathers, or the Chicago Cloud Gate, or better known as the Bean. It's a public art installation that attracts millions of visitors each year. I asked Mags and Loyosh why they thought it was important that cities continue to invest in public art. Well, because it, it teaches you a lot about where you live, about your, your city, about your community. What's really important is a, a sense of place, of uniqueness of place. Public art can be unique and engaging, but to Edward, he looks at it in a different way. Whenever we can expand the functionality or usefulness of our infrastructure to take on different purposes, we're actually expanding the public's benefit of investment in those things. Mags and Loyosh went on to work on other projects in Arizona, such as the Salt River Project at Arizona Falls. The collaboration with SRP and City of Phoenix named Waterworks has been called a hidden gem. The couple still works in designing public art around the country. And even though they received backlash from WallCycle, they still look at the experience fondly. Um, and it generated memories, which is what Lars said, and that's really, that's pretty good. Hey, it's me, Kayla again. Maritza, thank you for that in-depth look at Wall Cycle to Akatio, which I admit I had not heard of before, but now I think is super interesting. Are there any updates on this project? Actually, yes, there is. So during my interview with Edward Lebo, the current director of the Public Arts Program, he mentioned that starting next year, they hope to put out a call to local painters so that they can repaint some of the faded um, pots that are still along the 51. I guess now I have a reason to ride my bike over there. Well, that's it for today. If you have more questions about how Metro Phoenix is changing, submit them to us at valley101.azcentral.com. And if you're a new listener, remember you can go back and listen to old episodes. Let us know what you think by leaving us a rating or review on your podcast app. 
As always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you next week.